You're listening to Nobody's Podcast, where we share the remarkable stories of ordinary people leading extraordinary lives. Join us as we explore success, passion, and living life to the fullest. The journey begins now. Hello again. This is Nobody's Podcast, and we're here to talk about, as always, success and gratification. But today's idea is going to be perseverance. We're talking to a young man, Tiguabo Murugueda, a man who can truly show us what perseverance is. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Your nickname is Muli. Yes. May I call you that? Yeah, please. Muli, where did your life begin? I was born and raised in Eritrea. Eritrea is uh, located on the Horn of Africa. We're bordering with Ethiopia and Sudan, and we have the Resi Coast. Yeah, so that's the tiny country most people don't really know. Eritrea. Eritrea is, yeah. So we used to be under Ethiopia then, and then we got our independence on 93. So yeah. you were part of Ethiopia. We used to be a part of Ethiopia, yes. Now, and you're between Somalia and Ethiopia? Yeah, we are uh, bordering with Ethiopia on the south. We have Sudan. We also have Egypt. Uh, so Egypt is actually... Oh, I'm sorry, uh, I said Somalia. In, instead, Sudan. and uh, Sudan and Ethiopia. E- yeah, Sudan yeah. and Ethiopia. And Djibouti through land and then the Resi Coast, which is very near to, to Somalia too. It's not far from us. I'm aware that there's conflict, Eritrea and Ethiopia, also with Sudan too. The fight is between the uh, tribes in Ethiopia. There is a Tigrinya part of Ethiopia. It's fighting with the rest of Ethiopia. And with us, also with Eritrea. The conflict with Eritrea has never been solved. Like It's been forever. And we still there is a conflict. And how is that war felt amongst the people? People are devastated. People are losing a lot of, you know, their families and the economy is collapsing, you know. Did you lose anyone? I lost my cousin. He used to live with us. He, he used to live, he, he raised, my mom raised him with us and I lost him during the war. What happened? Uh, during the war, during the war with Ethiopia, I was until 20. He was a soldier? He was a soldier, yeah. Well, in Eritrea, everybody's a soldier. So yeah. you, you were also a soldier? Everyone in Eritrea has to go. It's like... Uh, we have a national uh, service, like mandatory national service. Everyone has to go there. Although in the book, it's like a year and a half, 18 months. But once you get in there, there is no way out. So you just stuck for life. You know, unless something like major thing happened to you, like, you know, you can't serve, you can't do anything. They will, you know, eventually let you go. So you're born in Eritrea. Yeah. This is where your life started. Yeah. Now you're here in the United States. That's right. Yes. What was the beginning like? Well, let me start my story. Like, so I was raised in Eritrea. I was raised in a family, like a big family. We were like eight siblings, and we had three cousins who used to live with us. So imagine it's like 11 kids. Living together. Yeah, living together. It's, it, was, it wasn't easy, like living like, with a lot of people, but it would teach you also unity and you know, helping each other. Teach us a lot of good things. So I was raised in this family, but eventually my dad was died when I was 11. So leaving my mom to take care of the entire family alone. And that was really, like, really hard, really tough for my mom, my mom's side. But we were really behave, all of the kids, because of my mom. She was extremely intelligent, extremely loving, extremely caring mom. She gave us everything she could. So she provided for us, like, whatever we needed in life. So we never really felt that we was raising without a father. 
So she was everything for us. She gave us everything we need. And although she didn't go to school, but she understood the importance of education. So she was on top of everything, like checking on us. We never miss one day school. Never, none of us. How was school for you? I was good at school, but when I reached 11, well, I, I, already, I always knew like I had this soft-spoken and very delicate personality. But when I reached 11 junior school, I remember this vividly the day like some of the students, especially boys, they start to mock how I talk, how I, you know, not like I was, I wasn't like one of those macho guys, you know, much of the kids. It was delicate. So they start to fan of, make fun of it. And in an instant, I knew that I had to act. I had to do something about it. So what I did was I isolate myself pretty much. I just go to school, focus on my studies, focus on my, my, my education. The people that I was interacting is only the people who were sitting next to me. But once the bell rang, I would just run home like, like a rocket. You'll see me like in a few minutes at home. Once I finished school. You were afraid? So I was afraid. I was afraid of being ridiculed. It's not, it wasn't even just about mine, but I was afraid just not to bring shame to my family, especially to my mom. In Eritrea, yeah. how are gay men seen? Uh, we never talk about it. You never talk about it? We never talk about it. Why? Because uh, as the people are religious and uh, we have rules. Like you can't, we can't talk. Well, if I'm somebody like is out as a gay person they're probably gonna be in prison for life or they've been even killed so nobody ever talked about it we never had any discussion about gayness or something else so you kept it secret yeah how would this have affected your family had, if they had found out that you were gay how would, would it affect your family my family you would love me regardless that's okay that's in in your regard but i mean yeah. how would the country see your family. Oh, that's that's what my main, my main concern was about my family. It wasn't even about myself. You know, I could get beaten, I could get you know ridiculed every day. I could get like expelled. I don't care, but I could never bring that to my family. They would have done the same thing to my family either. So at a young sick. age, you're fighting your own war. Yes. Uh, again, my mom was a, this exceptional mom. She already done like for us everything. She was like a shining light everywhere she stepped and you'll see like she's gonna brighten the room she's she's something else she's so out of the world so her love for us for me her love was you know motivating me to do to excel in other areas of my life like you know to be better to make her proud by any means so for for me like to be out and to bring shame to my family that was never in question okay but she didn't stop I didn't stop. You kept going. I kept going. I went to school every day. I, like I said, I focused on my studies. I was good on my studies. I was good on my grades. That part gave me a little bit of respect from other students or from other people. What I did was I blocked myself from interacting with people. So after school, I ran home. I never went again to other games that we used to play, like football, like you know, soccer. It's a lot of games that we used to play as kids. I stopped going there. I stopped going to neighbors, like playing with kids. As pretty much, I blocked myself from interacting with, especially with students of but my But you age. didn't stop living. You, but, you concentrated your life on yeah, the so studies. I concentrated on my studies and I concentrated on my family. My family gave me all this love. So I was 
you know. Okay. Living so then life. what was the next major step in your life? You, you started out running. Okay. You started out running and hiding. Survival techniques. You survived. You did. You survived. Next step. What was the next step? What happened next? Yeah. So it's been like this until I finished high school. I was just running, running from people. Although, you know, like I was respected because of my grades. I was good behaved and everything. And then after high, after high school, I started to open up, especially when I got to college. I opened up with people. I started to have friends. And I went to college. I started to study in uh, pharmacy, one of these colleges there. And after two years finishing college, just my goal was to continue my education through higher education to university. So they closed the only university we had in the country. They closed it. So I was assigned to work in a hospital. Uh, so I started working in a hospital. Uh, it was very far from where I used to live. So I would stay there for three months. After three months, that was the only time, for, like I was far away from my family, that far, like three months. I went to visit my family. So on the way, they stopped me on the way and they took me by force to military. I didn't even get a chance to call my family. I'm going to military. I didn't get a chance, like, you know, to say bye. It just on the way. Got me go. and put me Pick in a car up. and they just took me in okay, the military. Okay, next step center. is the military. The military, yeah. How long were you in the military? I stayed there four years. Four years? Four years and two months, three months. Now again, we back to square one. You're in, a, you're in an environment where if they found out you were gay, your life was threatened. Oh, yeah. But that, that didn't stop you. Never stopped me. I, yeah, never stopped me. I always keep going. I'm in military is like... I, uh, I was there by force. Everybody eventually going to serve the military service. And I was going to serve any after I finished my college. But I took me there by force. And they kept me there for four years. I stayed like in the hospital of the main military training center. I served there for four years at other pharmacies. I worked there. In Eritrea, um, you probably don't know, Eritrea is one of the most oppressive regimes we have. We have no freedom of anything. We have no freedom of talking, whatever. We have no freedom at all. So they can do whatever they want to you. They can put you in prison for no reason. They can even kill you. Nobody's going to caution them. A, tons, a lot, thousands of people, all the prisoners in Eritrea is, is full, all the prisoner uh, areas is full. It's, they keep people in containers, like a shipping containers containers and undergrounds because it's full. So um, while I serving in the military, I used to read like spiritual books. I was a spiritual person. I had a lot of books. So once when I went to work, they went after me to my room. They went after to my room. They found out these books. And because of that, they put me in prison. I stayed like for 100 days, like three months and two weeks. A hundred days, three months and two weeks. So now you're in prison. Now I'm in prison. And that didn't stop you either. (laughs) What did you do when, what happened when you were in prison? How did you survive prison? So the prison is extremely crowded. It's containers. It's extremely crowded. So most people, like thousands of people, they sleep outside. It's extremely crowded. There's no enough food. There's no hygiene. If they give you, if you're lucky, once in two weeks, they will let you take a shower 
Like I, I told you, I was working in the hospital, so I was the one who was distributing the medications, all the medical equipments, the the clinics. We had like over 15, almost 20 clinics around the area because it was the main military area that I used to work. So they knew me, the clinic of the prison, they knew me in advance. So they knew when I went there to, uh, to the prison, so they pulled me from the crowded area. They put me with their patients. So I stayed there for three, three for the months. whole time, three yeah. months and two weeks. I was like a patient. So I was just eating, drinking, having fun. Uh, it was actually one of the best time in military that I had. Wow. Yeah, people think prison is like one of the, you know, tough. Of course, it's tough. There's not enough no, no food, you know. But for me personally, you know, I get time to be with myself. I get time to connect with people. I had time to play chase i have time to read i actually gain weight from there you i, I gain weight in a, yeah. in a, in adverse situation in a yeah. difficult situation i was always you turned kid. it around oh yes yeah but were you aware that you were turning it around no i no, was never just, aware no i was just i'm gonna just, go live yeah it, just, it was naturally it, it came naturally for me i just so left. eventually you're here so eventually yeah. you ended this career uh, in uh, in the military, yeah. how did you do that? What did you do? So, again, I'm going back to square one. I was like I said, I was I had this connection with my mom, with my family. I had extremely deep connection with my family. I, I we love each other. We help each other, and I could not bear the thought of leaving them behind. I was always I wanted to leave the country, but it's very risky. You can get killed in the way. You can get caught even it's war even worse if you can get caught you can you were gonna put you in prison and the prison there is like you don't want to be there and they will put you there for years and years like if you get out of the prison you're lucky like you know all in one like healthy so i didn't want to leave my family behind especially my mom and uh the thought of like if something happened to me on the way if I get killed, what would happen to my family? What would happen to my mom? How would she react? Like, I just couldn't think the process. So it took me a long time just to plan and to get out. But once they put me in prison for no reason, just for having a spiritual books, that was like, a, for me, like I- That was the just, catalyst. Yes. That was, yeah. Okay, this is, that's it. That's it. Because okay. staying for me is like more risky than, you know, taking risks to get out of the country. So I have to decide. So I said, you know what, I'm, that's it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to wow. get out of the country. So you, you just escaped from the... So, from yeah, the, uh, but to escaping, it's not that easy. It's not just, you know, oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. No, it's people pay for smugglers thousands of dollars. That is not even guarantee. But lucky, lucky me, I was in military, like bordering to Sudan. The place that I used to work in military was... On the border of the Sudan. On the border yeah. of the Sudan. So, so I knew people, you know, run from there. I, so I studied also. I made research how to get it there. I didn't have money to pay for smugglers. So my friend connected me with some people. They were ready to go. So four different people. I never knew them. Yeah, so then we start journey. We four How did you people. get to the Sudan? We walk. We walk three days and nights on foot through mountains, through forests, through the desert, we walk. How did you know that you were on the right road? Uh, because I, I, we made research. I mean, oh. I already researched. I, I, you cannot carry with you anything. You 
cannot carry a watch or you can you can't carry anything. So only one clothes, whatever you have. If you have maybe a little bit water on the way. So we knew was just we just following the sun. We were following <laughs> right. the right. clouds and everything. Yeah. So we went. We walked for three days and we reached Sudan after three days. Did everyone make it? Our group made it. We made it, but there was... How many in your group? We were five people. We were five people, and we, we were, I had a lot of friends in the military. They weren't, were also ready to get out, but we, wouldn't, we didn't want to risk going out together, so we split up split with up. different groups. And how many were in your group? I were five. Five. We were, we were five. All yes. men or? All men, yes. All men, okay. All men. No so children, no, no children. Women. Okay. There was another group. They were caught on the way. They caught them. Some of them, they tried to run and they shoot them. They died on the way. Uh, some of the group that I met them in Sudan, but on the way, the, the journey is extremely difficult. People never thought I could make it because I was extremely skinny. <laughs> I looked fragile and... They never thought I could make it, but when they saw me in Sudan, they were like, wow, how did you get it? How? You broke but, that stereotype. Yeah, yeah but you I broke was, that stereotype. Like, I felt like I could go three days more, like I could walk more. I had this energy in me, like, I, you know, I wanted to make it. Drive. Yeah, drive. Drive. So now you're in Sudan. How yeah. long did you stay in Sudan? In Sudan, I stayed about nine months. Nine months nine in Sudan? Months. Okay. Yeah. And when you got to Sudan... There was no longer oppression. You were accepted, or what was the well, situation? Well, Sudan, like? Sudan is, you know, it's one of the worst countries in the world too. It's like their economy is not good. They don't have any democracy for themselves. Forget for the immigrants. Like, so it wasn't. But it easy. was better than it. But for me, I was. I felt like I'm in heaven. Like you know, I yeah. was free. I didn't have anything to eat. I didn't have you know at the beginning, especially the first few months. It was it was tough. But I was, I was happy I was in Sudan. Like, I felt like some kind of release. I felt like I, myself again. And um, yeah, I stayed there for six months. The first three months, I was staying with friends and families that I knew. And then I found a job. You had family in Sudan? Not like close family, just very extended family. Like my f- mom, she knows somebody. Like, so I stayed there for a couple months. Then I stayed in a building uh, of a wealthy man. He had different buildings, so I started to paint his house. So he let me stay in one of his buildings. So I stayed there for six months, over six months. Of the nine months. Yeah. Where did you go from Sudan? Then from Sudan, I need to do something because I knew I could not stay in Sudan and I don't have anywhere to go. So the only option or the only thing I thought myself it could be safer place for me was Israel. Why did Israel come to mind? Yeah, so there was people from Sudan, if you knew, like there was a conflict between Sudan, one of the tribes that were called Darfur. Darfur, they were killing them. So the Darfur people we used to go to Israel or they used to go to other areas of the world. Oh, okay. So I knew... Israel was a place. Yeah, so they used to go there and they, at least they have, you know, a better place to stay f- Always better. Yeah, for sure. Eritrea, Sudan, freer, oh, yeah. and then Israel. So uh, in Sudan, so I connected with, uh, uh, with, there was an Eritrean guy in Sudan that I knew. He used to work with the smugglers. So he connected me with the smugglers, those who take to Israel. But to Israel, it's not just, you know, it's not one way. So first, you have to go to Egypt. From Egypt, you have to go to Sinai. From Sinai, then 
And oh. every step you go there, there is smugglers, and you have to pay them money, thousands of money. Did you make that money? I in didn't Sudan? have money. So I'm gonna explain. This. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't have I didn't have anyone to help me. So in Sudan, I work. I, I told you I was working with this guy painting in yeah. his apartment. So I save a little money. So from Sudan, when I uh, planned to go to Egypt, when the guy connected me with the smuggler, I spoke with him. Uh, how much is the money to go there? He's like, I think about two thousand dollar. Listen, I don't have this kind of money. I have five hundred, maybe. I had like five hundred dollars. This is everything that I have. If you want, can you take me? I pay this one. He's like, you know what? I have already eighteen people ready to go. They all paid. They are ready. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. Can you take me with this five hundred? I'll take you this five hundred dollar. Okay. <laughs> so. This uh, smuggler, the Sudanese smugglers, there were, and they connect us with another smugglers. Those were Libyans. They had this Toyota pickup. So 2019 people, we were sitting like... So you were from, from Egypt to Libya? No, we are still in Sudan. Oh, okay. So from Sudan, they, we paid them money to take us to Egypt. Oh, okay. So, well, so we were ready. The food and water, drinks and everything, we were ready for three days. So from Sudan... We started a journey, the Libyans, the smugglers, they took us, they are fully armed. You can't do anything to them. Uh, so they took us, we reached the border in Egypt, which saw the, you know, there was a sign and everything, and all of a sudden they changed the direction. They took us to Libya instead. So we went to Libya, we, they, we, they, uh, they had this beautiful place, like those smugglers. Uh, we stayed there in their uh, apartment. So the people that came with me, they start to get panic. They li- would literally like hijack like to, to Libya. So people start to panic. Two people from the group that they came in with me, they run away right away. They don't know where to go. They just have to get away from there because, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. Did they make it? Yes, they made it. After a few months, once I reached in Israel, I contact these people. Oh. They went to, uh, from the city that we are in Libya, they went to Tripoli. Tripoli is the main city of Libya. Libya yes. Yeah, and then from Libya, they went through Mediterranean. Yeah. They went to Italy. Italy. So yes. I connect them when, I, I spoke with them when they reached Italy. Okay. But I was in Israel. But you were in Israel. But then, but we, the rest of us, we were 17 people, we stayed there. So we told the guy, what are you doing? We were supposed to go to Egypt. Why did you bring us to Libya? He's like, oh, in the morning, we're going to take you to Libya. Yeah. Okay. So in the morning, uh, we ate breakfast. They took us. We drove like about three hours in a desert. The desert is like, you can't see anything. It's extremely hot. So we went, we, we drove like two hours, three hours. And then finally, we found like this hill, a small hill with a lot of rocks. So these guys, they just drop us there. Oh, no. Okay. Stay there, and unless you're gonna pay us twenty thousand dollars, yeah, you have to pay us twenty thousand dollars. Unless you guys are gonna die here, you can't walk even like like one mile. That's extremely hard. These guys, they know the desert like the, the palm of their hand. They know every things. So they drop us on the um on the hill. The next day they came in. They no one in. had no one had twenty thousand dollars. No, we don't have. So the next. So they knew that. They, oh yeah, they know. They know. Like, we, we didn't have any money, but they don't care. They don't care, but they know people will get the money. 
the money to save their life regardless so uh, they just dropped us in the middle of the desert in one hill luckily there was rocks so we hid during the days for the on sh- the shadows yeah. the rocks during the night is fine it's a little cold but yeah the next day they came in they brought us food they brought us water and they brought us they had this kind of phone you can call anywhere in the world and he's like okay now you guys have to call your families you have to bring us 20,000 right now $20,000 each no all of tw- us all of you all together, together 20,000 yeah. okay all of us i'm like i don't have anything you can do whatever you want i'm not going to give you a penny i have nothing but the people start to call their families they start to call some of them they had families like they used to live abroad so they have you know they help them we stayed there for three weeks until we collect the money in the middle of nowhere but for some reason i had this belief deep down in my bones like i was i was giving them hope for the people i would meet you guys okay i know this is tough it seems like not good but we're gonna make it to relax just you know you can do whatever we want like you know just just bring if you can if you can bring some money even if it's a hundred dollar bring it that would help if not don't worry we don't panic they're not gonna kill us here we're gonna get there so i would try to you know calm the people there we stayed there for three weeks in the desert every morning they used to bring us some food and water and then finally we ended up collecting about ten thousand dollars and then they decided to take us to egypt after three weeks So you made it to Egypt. So after two weeks, we made it to Egypt. Yes. In Egypt, also, we already contacted an Eritrean guy. He used to work with the smugglers because we have to continue the journey. The journey is not to stay in Egypt, to continue to Israel. So those uh, Egyptian smugglers, they start to take us like by groups. We, can't, we were like 17 people. So they just five people. Some of them, they got the money from their family very quick, like, you know, $2,000. So they start to take them. I stayed there a month in, in, in Egypt because I didn't have the money. So I was just waiting. So I told the guy, listen, I don't have anyone to help me. I don't have this kind of money. But what I can do is take me, just, you know, take me to Israel. The first thing I'm going to do once, you know, I get to Israel, is just going to pay you back. The guy's like, listen, Muli, um, you know what? I don't even care if you pay me. I just want you to succeed. Yeah, I want you to get there peacefully. The guy was a very sweet guy. He said, like, I never done it. I'm not even gonna, um, I'm not even sure if those smugglers gonna agree with this idea, but I will try to convince them. Wow. Yeah, so I was one of the last people stay there. Like, I always stay for almost a month in Egypt. So we stayed four people it, for us, four of us. So we went to, they, they connect out with these smugglers, with this Bedouin, like they're from Sinai. They took us to Sinai first. So the smuggler, the Eritrean guy, he told me, okay, if they're not going to ask you, I already spoke with the smugglers, but if they ask you in case, if they ask you, if they press you for money, don't panic. He gave me $200. Extra, like, just put this in your pocket. Give this one. Give them this one. And the rest I will, you know, give them. Wow. Yeah, so um, we went to Sinai. We stayed there maybe a couple days in Sinai, and then we started to march to Israel, which is not far from Sinai. They took us to the border, and then um, once we reached the border from Israel and Egypt, in Israel and Egypt, there was Egyptian uh, military, like the border, the guards for the border. They started to shoot on us. But luckily, the smugglers had weapons also, so they started to shoot each other. So while they were shooting, 
the border is fenced with wires. So what we did, we throw our bags and then we pull it. Our oh, bags, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, the wires eventually... Snap. Snap. And then we crossed Cross the border. The right. So then we wow. went to Israel. While yeah. they were shooting at each other. Yes, they shoot each other. While they were shooting, we just crossed the border. And then there was a run. And again here, any, everybody made it? We all made it. Yes. Luckily, we all made it. Yeah, and then... And so from... Was, now, a question. So yeah. you went from Eritrea, Sudan, Sudan, then... Libya. Libya, Egypt, Egypt Sinai, and then what, Israel. What language were you speaking? I mean, everyone spoke the... No. Most of the people who came in with me, they spoke Arabic. Okay. I didn't speak. I had I, I knew a little bit just, of Arabic. Yeah, just very tiny one. Yeah, but most of them knew Arabic. So the people who came with me, they, you know, communicate with the smugglers with Arabic. And what about you? How did you communicate with them? Uh, English. English. Yes. So you knew in, you learned English as oh, a yes. child. Yes. Okay. I knew English. Yes. You knew English. Yes. And they knew English. And in Egypt, the same thing. So English was the common. Yes. So well. Most of the people, they knew Arabic, so they used to communicate with them. Right. And if something, that is something that I need to say, so I was saying in English, or someone to translate, translate, you know. From English from to English Arabic. to Arabic. Okay. Yeah. So now you made it to Israel. Israel. How yeah. long were you in Israel? In Israel, I stayed two and a half years. Two and a half years? Yes. I stayed in Israel. So what was the most important event that happened in Israel for you? Ooh, a lot of things. <laughs> the most important. Okay. So... Once we get to Israel, they put us first in prison camp. It's like a refugee camp slash prison, prison camp. Yeah. Yeah, we stayed there like about three months. And then after they took us to um, this agricultural area, all the refugees, they just, you know, split us to all the agricultural areas in Israel. So I was assigned to, um, I remember this place, his name is uh, Moshav Enyahav. It's on the southern part, part of, of Israel. Israel. Yeah. I stayed there for two months. We work, we get paid, and we were released from prison. It was like, whoa, okay. Finally, we are starting to live, you know. Although that's not my goal, but I was safe. I was happy there. And I knew there was um, DV lottery. If you knew, like, diversity uh, lottery, lottery yeah. there is from all the people, millions of people from the world every year apply, but only 50,000 win. Not all the 50,000 comes, but 50,000 win the lottery so right. i knew the window there was only two weeks window at that time like to apply it was i think on november i remember so i was in the mesh when you have and i didn't have internet and i need to apply i have to do something so what i did is like i asked permission to go to tel aviv so they let me they let me go to tel aviv i went to tel aviv i met my friends i didn't even say one night so i just went straight to the internet shop and i applied on the online the uh for the lottery. Yeah, for the lottery. Yeah. And, but you have to put address. And I didn't have any address. I just came in from nowhere. So I don't have any address. So uh, I asked the guy, the uh, internet shop, the owner, can I use your address? Because I don't have any address. I just came in from this place and I'm applying for diversity visa. If so, if I win, so I don't have any, you know, I have to put an address. He said, let, oh, let me give you mine. He gave me the shop area, the address. You know, there's, there's a thing called, I, I'm not sure, I, I, I believe it's called false prophecy. So what happens is, is that you prophesize that someone's going to say no to you. And you don't ask. 
because the prophecy is telling you they're going to say no. Yeah. Um, but you really don't know until you ask. Yeah. You know, until you ask the person. Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> you know, but you live with the idea that oh, they're going to say no. I'm not going to ask. It seems like through your whole journey, you didn't have the fear of the false prophecy. You would ask. I was just. Asking. And a lot of times, you would get yes. Now I just look back. Like I was imagining first, I was envisioning like first, like in my head. Yeah. So once I was in my my home when I was in military, I was envisioning like how I'm gonna get out. I was envisioning myself living in Sudan, what I was doing in Sudan, and then from there, when I was once once I thought in Israel, I like I was thinking in Israel, how I'm doing in Israel, like you know, I put my in my head, I'm living in Israel. Right. So, <laughs> but no place that you got to was. The final place. No. You, you just, I'm here. I kept going. I'm good here yeah. and stuff. This is better, but I'm going to keep going, <laughs> yes. you know? And so yeah. you apply for this lottery. I apply for the lottery. So I, very I, few people win yeah, compared to the ones that, yeah. yeah so millions of people apply from all the world. So in Israel, you have like maybe, I don't know, maybe 10 people win. Yeah. So <laughs> I was one of the. So I told the guy, the owner shop for the internet, I told him, okay, if I win, which you're gonna get result um, between five to six months. Just post my name on your shop, like you know. Okay, Muli, you won lottery. Just if you guys know somebody, call him, let him know, like you know, he got something. So after a few months of living in Israel, I met my friend, my best friend, his Ofek. So I I was uh, we had you know connecting with Ofek, we had making this friendship and I was staying with him for the most most of my time with him. Like af after work I just come with him and I stay with him. So after So Ofek yeah. is just a friend? No, it's more than a friend. Ofek is uh actually I would he's like pretty much my everything. It's my family, my friend, my partner. Yeah, we are like one. <laughs> and you met him in Israel? I met him in Israel, in Tel Aviv. Yes. So I was telling him like, okay, I applied for this in DV lottery. I might win, you know, I might win. I have this feeling my inside is like, my, I feel it deep down my bones. I gonna win. You know what? Let me go to the internet shop. I'm gonna ask him if he got something. So I went to the internet shop and I see my name on the, on the, oh, on the wow. door. On the, on the door like, Muli, you won a lottery. I was like, whoa. Okay. And then I, um, I, I took the papers. There was a lot of forms to fill in. I fill and I sent back here. And there is no guarantee. There is a lot of process to go through. Yeah. To get the final, you know, to get the visa. So like 12 different part process. And there is a vetting. It takes like a year and a half. So I stayed for a year and a half in Israel after I won. In total, I stayed like two and a half. So I was with Ofeg, staying with him. And there is a deadline. It was September 30th. If I don't get my visa by that time, which means I'm denied. So I, I'm not allowed to enter to the States. So I was telling Ofeg, wow, this is a deadline. Like on the night, on the night before, like today is the deadline. And he was trying to convince me to, to, to say like, oh, listen, Israel is a good place. You know, you can continue your education. Stay here you can in Israel. Stay with yes. you. I'm here. Like, you know. Uh, we can do something together. He was trying to convince me, like, you know, not to be... <laughs> well, he was afraid maybe that you might be disappointed. Yeah, that was the point. I would be disappointed. But I, w I told him, you know something? 
tomorrow morning they're gonna call me. In this world, I told him in this world, like tomorrow morning they're gonna call me. This is not over. <laughs> it was kind of a miracle. Like, so we went to sleep. We went to sleep around like um, two or three a.m. in the morning, and then at eight in the morning I got a call from the embassy, from the American embassy from Jerusalem. So again, here's another miracle. I mean, your <laughs> life is full of miracles. I know. It's just, your life is, is full of miracles. But I then call, yeah. it's your conviction. It's your, you are convinced that that's the way it's going to go yeah. and that's the way it During goes. the way, when we came in, uh, especially when we were in the desert in the middle of nowhere for three weeks, you know, we were talking with the people. Like we were talking, some of the, one of them, he had his wife here, his fiance. So he was saying like he's going to America, He's going to America maybe in a year, maybe maximum in two years. And some of them were saying, oh, I'm going to Europe. My brother lives there, blah, blah. And I was telling them, okay, guys, I'm going to be the first one to get to the States. <laughs> it wasn't a joke. For me, I was, for, for them, it was a joke. But I was saying, serious. Like, I was serious. serious. Yeah. So yeah. You, got, you got the visa. Yeah. And uh, the next step was the U.S. How long have you been here? I got to the States in 2010, 2010, yes. So you've been here I've been 13 here like years. 13 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. 13 years of not, still continuing. Still continuing. continuing. Still continuing, yeah. So you and Ofek? Yes. So Ofek, he left Israel. Well, he came in with me first when we came to the state the first time. He stayed with me like a couple months and then he went back to Israel. And then he just has to, you know, empty his room, empty his apartment, sell whatever he can and give other stuff. And then he left Israel. After 10 months, we reunited again. You reunited after yes. 10 months. Yes. You still haven't stopped. You continue. <laughs> yeah. And now it's, you continue together, you and Ofek. Yes. You've written a book. Yes. Yeah, so we live in New York. We stayed in New York and... The first two years, I was quick. I was working a lot of works. Well, my first goal, my first purpose, like I wanted to do was uh, my continue my education. That was my first priority all the time. I wanted to finish my education. I want to do this. But first, I needed to help my family. I said, you know what? Let me help my family first. At least my mom, she needs to rest now. This is time for her to rest. So I let me work a year, maybe two years, maximum three years, and I help them. I make sure like they are settle and then I can continue my education. So I worked for a couple of years. After three years, there was a bad news about my mom. Um, she, she had a cancer, like a breast cancer. It was, that was one of the toughest news that I got. It was, it was hard, it was hard. But luckily she got medical assistance. We didn't have any like uh, for cancer, not even like screening. There was no any screening, but there was people from the States and they went there like Eritrean doctors and some other organizations. They went there to help and they saw her, they did a test and everything, they found out she had a cancer. And then we had to do something, uh, me and Ofek, we, we did a lot of things. We finally, um, she was able to get a doctor. The doctor went from other parts of the world, they went there and they did a surgery and she started chemo. She did chemo like three times and then it was already too late. She died. Yeah. So after my mom died, I was I was pretty much lost. I was totally lost. I was wow. It was <laughs> now I think about it. It's like it's hard. You were also alone. 
I was alone here. Well, luckily well, I, had, I had Ofek, but yes. I was I was devastated. How this thing can happen to a person like my mom? She has done everything in her life. It's just something good. She just did good to people. She used to bring homeless people from outside, give them food, wash their clothes. Um, she was she was this light shine like she was an amazing mom. How can this happen to her? So I start to question like how how this can happen to a person like this. I was questioning my existence also. What am I doing here? I lost for, was lost. I, I forgot about my education. I forgot about things, other things that I need to do. I was just going to work from work at home and depressed and just few years. It's been few years and it got worse. But thank, thank to Ofek again, my friend. Uh, he was with me, he was with me every step. So he helped me to get off to get out of this depression, get out of the stress. Yeah, and um, he uh, um, helped me to do stuff. We start to do like photographs. We start to do videos. You continue to live. Yeah, I start to live, continue to live. We start to make different, a lot of things. And then he, uh, all of a sudden he start writing, start to write of fake. I used to work two jobs, like just not to think, just to make myself like, you know, occupied all the time not think of something else so after i come home he shows me oh muli i read this I, I i wrote this can you read it it was his right in hebrew so i translated to english and i read it wow i like it interesting and it keep going like that it went like months two months and then he i see like he started to combine my story with his this life story i'm like wow it's getting interesting then we decided let's collaborate then let's combine our stories he has unique and different story, and I have this unique story. Well, let's do. Let's come in. Yeah, we start writing. We start writing different things, and then eventually we ended up writing like a superhero book. It's called Horizon. Yeah, it wasn't easy writing the book. It was really wonderful long. tribute to your mother. Oh yes, who like you? She taught you to live. Yeah, she did. And everything I have done in my life was just to make her proud, just to make her like, you know, she was proud of me. I, I had this unique connection with her, like, although all our family are very extremely connected. So but she's no longer proud of you? She is. You've done something. Yes, she is. Well, she's not here now. She, I wish she was here to see, like, you know, what I got. You're a spiritual man. Thank you. Man. So you should know that she is, will always be with you. Yeah. Will always be with you. Yeah, and then we start writing. It was hard writing the book, especially you know we're not Americans, so we have this limited vocabulary. It was hard, like to put our ideas. Hard doesn't frighten you. No, it, it wasn't. <laughs> but we did it anyway. Right, exactly. Hard it. doesn't frighten you, and yeah. uh, you know there's a saying: "Tell me who you frequent, and I'll tell you who you are." Yeah. So if you're this way, I'm sure Olfek is. Very similar to you, not being afraid of difficulties. Uh, yes, yes. And yeah, we wrote it. The, um, and then the pandemic hit. Another difficulty. Another difficulty, yeah. But I know it's going to sound weird, but for me personally, <laughs> during the lockdown, it was the best thing that happened to me. In a, I would say even in my life, really, really. 
Is there anything that happened to you that wasn't the best thing that happened to you? <laughs> you you, you <laughs> said this about, you know, I was in prison. It was the best thing that happened to me. Yeah, you true. know, it, I, I ended up in Libya and I, the best thing that happened to me. Everywhere <laughs> you go, it's the best thing that happened to you. I think this is your driving force. I think so too, yeah. So, yeah, during the pandemic, the first two weeks was a little bit hard. But then we said like, okay, let's, let's make some rules. What are we going to do? This is like, you know, we are, we got a gift this time, you know, we're locked here. So what are we going to do about it? So we wake up in the morning, we eat breakfast, we straight go to writing. So we wrote the most part of the book we wrote during the pandemic. Every single day, we're writing, sometimes we delete things and we change stuff. We keep writing, writing, and then we ate the healthy food, we exercised. We had the best time during the pandemic. It was... <laughs> I know it's, it's weird to say, but yeah. No, no, it yeah. makes sense in the life that you've led. You've come far. Yeah. Murugeta Tikwawo. Said it right this time. Murugeta Tikwawo. You've come very far, and I'm sure you will go further. I'm sure now both of you will go further. We will. And we will. Yeah. Your life is, if anything, interesting, you know, and persevere. Yeah. That was the team, and you did. From day one, from the day you started running, you've persevered and benefited from every obstacle. That's right, yeah. So every time, I remember, like, every time I got in this kind of, you know, this, this trouble, I would, like, hard times, I just think about how my mom would react. Like, you know, she took this whole responsibility, huge, tremendous responsibility, raising 13 kids by herself, while she was doing this, she had this just smile, Zeal for a life. big smile. Yeah. She was like, she loved life. so that was always my motive to do, like, always my motive. Just every time I'm like getting to, you know, down myself, like, I just have to think, like, you what know, would my mom, my mom do? would do? Like, yeah. You know, what a wonderful what thing. What my family do in general, like, so yeah. It gave me motivation to continue my life. And we are still moving, walking, doing I, things. <laughs> I think what I see is that you're a person who, in their life, or continues to know yourself. You, you're learning to know yourself. And there's an interesting quote from Benjamin Franklin. says, there are three things that are extremely hard. Steel, diamond, and knowing oneself. Your life has been a series of tests and also instruction. Probably the one of the most beautiful things you learned is you learned it from your mom because she showed you how to live. Yeah. Even in diversity, even in um, difficulty, uh, extreme difficulty, she lived. Yeah. And that's what she gave you. Murugeta, Tikwawo. Yes. It has been an extreme honor and pleasure to have you on Nobody's Podcast. Guests like you make Nobody's Podcast everyone's podcast. Thank you for listening to Nobody's Podcast. We hope our guest story today has inspired you to live your dreams and achieve success on your own terms. Tune in next time as we continue this journey of empowerment and positive change. Dream big, work hard, and go live the life you've always imagined. This is Nobody's Podcast, signing off.